Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So why are we doing this show, Jim? Well, this is a hard issue. I mean, that's my point. You know, both sides tend to demonize the other side. And I think in the media, you see a lot of arguments for pretty expansive gun control, make it sound like, it's such an obvious, easy thing to do, and the opponents are obviously evil. And then on the right, you see a demonization of people who understandably want to get some grip on this problem. And so we're a podcast about difficult issues, especially the ones where you and I don't totally agree. Exactly, and we're not going to agree on this podcast, but we are going to look and, and talk well, to an expert yeah, yeah. about what works in reducing gun violence. The United States does not have disproportionate rates of mental illness. It has disproportionate rates of gun violence. And so um, the problem does not seem to be unchecked or untreated mental illness, but rather in our very large supply of guns to civilians. Interestingly, the polling on things like background checks, where the government says you have a record that makes you too high risk to own a gun, those pull through the roof, 97%. I mean, nothing is that popular in America, uh, and that's including gun owners. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Jim, this show may give comfort to nobody, but we thought we needed to do it. No matter where you stand in the debate, we can all agree there are far too many killings in America by people using firearms. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the number is over 100 per day, and that's a record high. We have an estimated 300 million guns in America. About 50 million of our households keep them. But are the number of guns and the types of guns really the biggest problem? Or would a crackdown on criminals and reforms in mental health laws be more effective? James Burnett is editorial director of The Trace, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit newsroom that shines a light on America's gun violence crisis. We'll learn more about The Trace in this show. James joins us via Skype from Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you so much for having me on. James, you say on your website, the national conversation we're having on guns mostly misses the big picture. What do you mean? Well, what we mean by that is that the bouts of public attention, such as the one we are experiencing right now, are largely sparked by mass shootings and other very high-profile incidents uh, of gun violence. But if we look at it statistically, mass shootings account for something like 1% or 2% of all gun-related fatalities. 
Um, the much larger share are what you might categorize as routine, if there is such a thing, homicides. That's about a third of total gun fatalities. And then about two-thirds are, are suicides. Um, and then we have another segment that are unintentional shootings, often involving a child who accesses a gun and, and uses it to kill or injure themselves or others. And so um, that's the big picture is, is that mass shootings are, yes, a problem, but they are part of uh, a much larger issue. Yeah, I, d- I don't want to minimize, though, the, the problem or the threat of mass shootings, because one of the extraordinary statistics is that 135,000 students in America, it's quite a large number, have lived through school shootings since Columbine. So these are not... Were those, these mass, are, these were, are, these were those are, mass shootings? These are shootings at schools. Were they mass shootings? Uh, not all of them, but certainly some of them were. But the, but the point is, is that the threat of, of a shooter in school is, is, a, is a major one and is something which has affected this generation coming up now. You know, schools are actually statistically quite safe, but the threat that has been presented by these rampage shootings in various public spaces, it's had a, a you know, a, I think a destabilizing effect. And it was a phrase I, I, I heard the idea that, that, Today's teenagers represent a lockdown generation. Right. Um, they have lived with these drills. They have lived to not just do fire drills, but to prepare for the possibility of an armed intruder in their school. And um, I think the intensity of the debate we're having right now and the reason that it follows a very horrific shooting at a school is because that sort of shatters our expectations, right, for what – um, we as a country provide safe, secure schools. But uh, this lockdown generation has has had to live with this this threat and this fear that maybe statistically is pretty small. Its effect on our psyche is really big, and right. and, it's and cultural, that's it's, it's a, a cultural, cultural effect. And that's why we're having the you know the the conversation that we are having now. Um, it's after Parkland. Right. Um, Parkland High School, the school in southern Florida, the site of, as we record this show, the most recent uh, school shooting in America. But we got to do more than just showing teachers how to lock the door and, and kids how to hide behind desks. You have a number of, of policies that you've looked into, and one of them deals with the issue of moving past school shootings per se the availability of firearms, particularly on the black market, what can you tell us about illegally obtained firearms? So when we're talking about um, gun violence, we are mostly talking about homicides and assaults conducted with handguns. Very many, almost all, legally purchased uh, at one point or another. Um, so you have a legal product that ends up being used, obviously, illegally. And that happens a number of ways. One is that it may be acquired or purchased in an unregulated transaction, something set up over the internet um, or at a gun show in states where those transactions are not covered by background checks, um, through a straw purchase where someone walks into a gun store and buys a gun for somebody else who's not allowed to own it um, and has um, violent or criminal intent for that gun. Something we've looked into the trace is theft, Uh, guns purchased for self-defense often, uh, carried in public spaces due to laws that facilitate that. uh, I I saw one report that said that illegally owned guns, these are illegally owned guns, many of them stolen, are used in more than 80 percent 
of the killings and injuries in America. Is that right? Um, I will be honest that that's not a statistic I've dug into, but it would square with how we know uh, guns move from uh, legal ownership to the black market and then get used. But your your answer to that question is interesting because you said we don't really have the data on that. That's a problem, isn't it? A widespread problem with with how to look at the impact of gun violence, that there's so many things about gun sales and gun ownership that we don't know. Why is that? That's correct. So what you're getting at is um, a dearth of research that is often attributed to a congressional rider that's been on the books for decades now, the Dickey Amendment. So the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, did a study, and it had some findings that were suggestive of risks associated with gun ownership. There was concern that on the part of um, pro-gun lawmakers that the, the federal government was engaged in anti-gun research. And so um, they put in this writer that didn't say you can't do any studies of gun violence, but that if it seemed to advocate for gun restrictions or, or have a sort of anti-gun cast to it, that that wouldn't be okay. And they, they removed a portion of funding equal to what they had spent on the, on the study. So the, the gist was, here's a tight parameter. Here's a tight line. Don't, don't step across it. And if you do, you'll see your funding suffer. It's so funny because I've always heard that the Dickey Amendment made it illegal for CDC to do research into gun violence. And and that's, as you're saying, that's not actually not true. So why hasn't the CDC gone back to doing maybe some investigation of these issues, not in an advocacy way, but just to get the basic numbers out there? Um, the calculation has seemed to be uh, we're not going to take any chances. Interestingly, right now, you, you see Trump's his new head of uh, Health and Human Services and um, and some Republican congressmen say, we should revisit that. Maybe we need to send a different signal to the CDC to let the research flow on, on gun violence. But when you actually get into the appropriations, those members right now are saying, oh, we don't want to we don't want to touch that. We don't want to add something that could be controversial you know, we got to get the bill passed. There's a million other things that, that people are battling over. And so it becomes this extreme risk aversion that uh, ends up a de facto ban, even though, no, to your original point, it's not illegal. Um, it's just there's been a, a very severe chilling effect. Talk about the power of the NRA and whether the NRA has distorted the debate over gun violence and, and what to do about it. I think the thing that the NRA has been successful at, one is in tying gun ownership very tightly to one form of American identity, where um, we think about identity politics in other form, gun ownership has become one. And um, anything that might restrict your ability to own the kinds of guns of your choosing and to take them into places where you feel you need them if you are a gun owner, the NRA has made that a deep identity issue for some gun owners. So I was careful not to paint with too broad a brush on this, but that's that's a thing that has happened. And also just to send the message in contrary to what the data actually says, that a gun is a key to safety and security. That So what you're saying is the NRA is advocating that, that having a gun increases your safety, whereas the facts are that, that that's not necessarily true. 
Um, that's right. I think it's a two-part thing. I think that it's having a gun and carrying a gun in public makes you more free, more truly independent. That's the that's the message of the NRA, and um, and more safe, and that those around you will be more safe because you can intervene should something happen. And those are very powerful messages. That's why you see pushback on things like bans or regulations on assault style rifles, um, on the capacity, the size, how many rounds the uh, ammunition magazine can hold, on where you can carry guns in, in a school, at a church. Those become real dividing lines. Interestingly, the polling on things like background checks, where the government says you have a record that makes you too high risk to own a gun, those pull through the roof, 97%. I mean, nothing is that popular in America. Uh, and that's including among gun owners. And so, so, uh, so if it's about... Do, so what can we do to improve those background checks? Um, so the steps that you, you see uh, talked about are, one, expanding them to cover um, as many transactions as reasonable so that uh, a private seller, a private vendor at a gun show would have to run background checks on um, on the people shopping from from that vendor um, because because that's 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 a huge loophole right now isn't it the gun show loophole that people can set up a stall at a, at a, at a gun show and sell weapons without any kind of background check being done can we do more to prosecute you mentioned the straw purchases that strikes me as a very serious crime i mean if we're going to get serious about gun violence buying weapons for other people that that aren't entitled to have them seems like it ought to be something to be prosecuted fairly aggressively do you have a sense of how these crimes are prosecuted well what we know is that you don't see a lot of federal prosecutions um states are actually taking action to do that and there's just some new legislation actually federal legislation to to help states do this. But um, no, we haven't done a great job uh, in prosecuting these uh, these individual offenses, either in straw purchases or these lie and try, because um, what's lie and try? A lie and try is when a gun buyer walks into a gun store, a federally licensed dealer who's performing a background check. They fill out the form and the form asks, are you legally allowed to own a gun? And you say yes, but you're not allowed. Um, and you hope that somehow it gets mixed, missed or you're able to buy the gun. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with the editorial director of the website, The Trace, James Burnett. 
James, on background checks, what about internet sales? Uh, how are they tracked? And what can be done there? Um, so internet sales, there's a, there's one wrinkle. If a gun is sold across state lines, so if your internet sale takes you across state lines, um, you're required to run that through a federally licensed dealer. But if you are just checking there in your neighborhood or here where I am in Virginia, and if, I, you, know, if you want to go buy a gun and set it up over the internet, um, they're not regulated and they're not so, tracked. So, that, so, so that's another way that, the, that guns could potentially get into criminal hands or people who are not allowed to have a gun? Um, you know, we sort of forget that regulation can protect the seller as well um, in these cases. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about what's being what's changing hands here, we're talking about a gun changing hands, um, that Internet-based sale can present a number of risks. Talk about mental health reform, which is something that a number of Republicans have raised recently as, as something that could be done to reduce the threat of gun violence. Could that make a difference? The United States does not have disproportionate rates of mental illness. It has disproportionate rates of gun violence. And so um, the problem does not seem to be in unchecked or untreated mental illness, but rather in our very large supply of guns to civilians. I think also when we go back way back to the beginning, we talk about do we miss the big picture? Well, if we're talking about mass shootings and mental illness, then yes, you know, many of the perpetrators have exhibited some forms of mental illness. And so that's true. And um, we should talk a little bit about a law called a gun violence restraining order or an extreme risk protection order. Also yeah, seeing a ton I, I of traction to, right now. I wanted to raise that because that's, that's a promising proposal and it does have some bipartisan support. Uh, it can does. You explain that. Yeah. So here's how these gun violence restraining orders or these red flag laws would work. Um, law enforcement, or in some cases a family member, would notice that a gun owner presents a imminent and specific threat and could at that point ask the court if it's permissible to seize that person's guns. Um, they can take the guns at that point. Um, and this is different than just taking the one gun that might be brandished or used in a crime. They can, they can say you are no longer during this period allowed to own guns. We're taking the guns. And then they go back to court and with the gun owner present, have another hearing to decide whether that order should last for a year. So it's a two-step process so that we have checks and balances, um, but that it creates this mechanism to deal with all these guns that are already owned and in some cases are owned by people who um, become violent or unstable. And, um, and we need a way to reduce that and deal with that risk. And, and there's support for this is growing, right? I mean, it's five states now have gun violence restraining orders, and there, and there are more that could be on the way. Is that right? That's right. Um, five states have them in one form or another. Always the states, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, the Florida package, I believe the most recent package still has it intact. It's been on the t table there. number of states, something like 18 or 20, are considering these. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, a national figure in the Republican Party, uh, someone who has a very strong rating from the NRA. He has considered these and embraced these. Uh, you see conservative writers talk about this could be something that uh, everyone can agree is a, is a useful safety valve or, or precaution that can be in place. Because now, I mean, one of the things you talk about, well, there are warning signs, there's warning signs, but if you don't have a law or a mechanism, there's nothing that law enforcement can do. Right. 
right? You're not, you're powerless to actually take action if no crime has been committed. And so, so this creates that mechanism. So we are a podcast about solutions. And right now we're in a moment where a lot of um, different ways of approaching the gun violence problem are being discussed. There seems to be more flexibility, certainly in the White House and among Republicans, at least around um, well, some, well, some elements, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> around some elements of, of the issue. So let's go through a few of the, the things that are, are being discussed and talk about the status of them. Uh, first of all, is after Las Vegas, there was a lot of talk about limiting bump stocks. These are devices that help turn a, a semi-automatic weapon into something that functions more like an automatic weapon that fires you know, rapidly without having to repeatedly pull the trigger. A number of states have passed bans on the sale or manufacturing, in some cases, the possession of these bump stock devices. The Justice Department has said, hey, we may take action to uh, regulate them under existing law. Other people say you could probably have to pass a new federal law if you wanted to do that. The question well, is Trump like said that, Trump said that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is right. there evidence that bump stocks are widely used? Um, I think that they have become a somewhat popular device among some gun owners in any pursuit, you have people who are into the gear. I think the issue there is we saw in Las Vegas their horrific potential. Very yeah, I, I, was shocked, I was shocked when I went back and looked that it wasn't just it wasn't just 58 people who died. It was 851 people wounded, which a testament to the to the phenomenal trauma care in Las Vegas. True. But all, when you listened uh, to those videotapes and you listened to the rate of fire uh, of those weapons, it sure sounded to my not very professional ear like an automatic weapon. And I think that got a lot of people's attention, even if that may be one of the only times a bump stock's been used in a crime. It was a big one. That's right. And what we realize is those are not regulated. I mean, they're, they're a totally unregulated device. And um, you saw a bipartisan consensus emerge that we should not have such products that are capable of changing a gun's a legal gun's function to have it function similarly to fully automatic rifle, that those shouldn't be changing hands without much stricter regulation. And, and, so and here, we what, are, here we are five months after the Las Vegas attack and still no law on bump stocks. I mean, still nothing has been done. There are groups on the pro-gun side who oppose any form of regulation whatsoever, who see it as a slippery slope. And so one read on this is that although there was bipartisan consensus and although a majority of the public certainly says let's regulate these things or not, if not ban them outright, that would expose lawmakers to having to vote on it and in some conservative districts possibly expose them to challenges from the right from folks who say, oh, you sold out to the gun violence prevention lobby and um, – and then you face a primary challenge. So there's some thought that it was just a vote. They didn't want, you know, that there are people who didn't want that to come up for a vote because now, they now the, the biggest, the biggest cause celeb of the gun control movement is, would be a ban on semi-automatic weapons. Um, would that ban reduce killings by a, a large amount? Is it possible to say? I think that there are those who would contest the cause celeb part, but let's take the ban on assault style weapons and, and what that's all about. So because most gun fatalities are caused by handguns, and a ban on assault style rifles would not affect most of those, right? But if you look at the original 
assault weapons ban uh, in effect from 1994 to 2004, um, we did see that the number of mass shooting incidents and the number of fatalities in those incidents did decrease, according to some academic research that's out there. They passed the law, and those types of incidents and the fatalities associated with them go down, and then the law sunsets in 2014, and the incidents and fatalities in the ensuing 10 years, 2004, 2014, they go way up. So how would that work? I mean, currently the AR-15, which I don't know if most podcast listeners know, it's not one weapon from one manufacturer, but more of a style of weapon that is highly modular, so you can buy different components and snap them together like a, almost like a, a Lego set. But if I'm not mistaken, the AR-15 is the most popular long gun in America today. What would uh, regulation, and that's just one so-called assault-style weapon, what would regulation look like? Uh, well, <laughs> one way that both the federal government and some states have sought to regulate assault-style rifles is to um, place restrictions on their on those components that you describe. And so they can have certain features but not others. Um, what has happened is that you've seen gun manufacturers respond to those regulations by finding end-workarounds. And so um, – and if you look online, some of the guns that result from these state-level bans specifically look look kind of look kind of weird. Uh, not like the AR-15 that silhouette that we're all sort of familiar with. Um, but they say you can't detach the the magazine, right? You cannot remove the magazine that holds the round of ammunition. It has to stay affixed. Why? Well, so you can't change them in and out quickly and fire uh, more rounds while quickly reloading because now it's it's locked on there. Um, there's something, the forward grip. There's all these features, right? So that's one thing is you could try to mod, regulate the features, but the gun industry has shown uh, that it's been persistent and uh, in, in finding ways to um, come up with new products that fit the, le- the new letter of the law. Another idea just kicked out today, in fact, uh, was that you would uh, have assault-style rifles covered by um, – the same law that regulates silencers, sometimes called suppressors, uh, and machine guns, and that you would um, include them under the category of heavily regulated firearms. Um, Those require a more extensive background check. Um, They require uh, payment of um, a a special fee or tax. Um, They um, are certainly owned but um, are, are more difficult to own, and um, that that might be um, an interesting way forward if that gets if that gets momentum at the federal level. How does the United States compare with other countries in terms of gun violence and, and rates of deaths and injuries from guns? What the numbers show us is that when we look at peer nations, other uh, wealthy peer, industrialized peer nations being on other industrialized yeah, nations. other industrialized nations um, that our rates are far higher um, and that I think the number is that we have 25 times gun violence of the next closest country and that oh boy I wish I had these numbers at my fingertips um, but that particularly if you look at among women who die of gunshot wounds in industrialized countries the vast vast majority 
happen here in the United States. The same is true of children, especially. And so we see that the U.S. has far higher rates of gun violence with you know, real disparities, perhaps most pronounced among women and children. We've seen debates shift dramatically. Perhaps we're in a time now, perhaps we're in the beginning of a window now where the kind of things that seemed out of the realm of possibility in the U.S. Uh, will enter the realm of possibility when we're talking about regulation and gun reform. But, but so far, that stuff has been made for useful international comparisons, but not been like something we can say, well, let's, get a, let's rally around what they did in country X or Y because our country has not passed a bump stock ban federally uh, or taken clear regulatory action within the Justice Department after uh, a historically horrific mass shooting conducted with bump stocks in Las Vegas. So that's where we are. We're seeing a ton of momentum, ton of new ideas. We are seeing things shift. You're seeing Republicans back gun violence restraining orders um, and signal support for other ideas that were not part of the possible set of solutions. There's one uh, phrase that hasn't come up, I don't think, in our conversation so far, and it's something that makes the U.S. unique, the Second Amendment. How does that affect how we look at this issue? Um, So the Second Amendment is obviously a big part of how um, gun law and gun regulation works here in the U.S., Um, The way we interpret it now, the way the Supreme Court interprets it now as guaranteeing an individual right to gun ownership is is relatively new. The Heller decision in 1998, I believe it was, it applies to guns owned in the home. We don't have – the Supreme Court has not come down one way or the other about whether that extends to concealed carry in public spaces. I guess the thing is the the cleaner answer is that this is all – hashed out on the terrain uh, that this Heller ruling created, but that um, under the Supreme Court's interpretation, a ton of regulation, lots of different forms of regulation are still possible or constitutionally permissible. The trace.org is the website, if you want to visit it, uh, full of really interesting information. James Burnett, editorial director of The Trace, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. So last week, Jim, you said that gun control might be part of the solution when we were discussing the Parkland high school shooting. And, and that kind of surprised me because gun control of some sort, we can argue a lot about what types of gun control, but the idea that gun control might only be part of the solution, I, I take, take issue with. So so then we need to get back to the question of what is the solution? I mean, certainly banning all guns would prevent mass shootings. Sure. Are you advocating that? No, I'm not. But I do think that the idea that we could even conceive that gun control could be off the table if we're serious about reducing gun violence to me is, is, uh, is just I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's off the table. I said it, it might be part of the solution. But this is exactly why— <laughs> I think it's undeniably part of the solution. Th- but this is why this discussion is so frustrating. You look at one proposal after another, and all of them nibble at the edges of the problem. Do you want to ban the AR-15? Great. Very few people have ever been killed by an AR-15. Sadly, a bunch just recently— um, there are other weapons that are also effective at killing people. I'm not arguing against some restrictions on some of the features that make these so-called assault weapons particularly lethal, but 
I think we're fooling ourselves if if we think that banning, for example, high-capacity magazines. I think there's a good argument made we should take a look at that. But none of these proposals, bump stocks, again, I think they should ban bump stocks totally. Well, that's gun control. Right. Who said I'm against gun control? Well, you said it might be part of the solution. It is part of the solution. Gun control, bump stocks are part of the the solution, and... I think military-style weapons but you're are not almost li- certainly Richard, part of the solution. Are they? To what no, I'm I am listening really carefully. You're shouting and, and, and repeating your position. And, and, yes, I am because but, I feel I need to. But so but what but, proposals but, would actually prevent mass shootings on your list? Because I'm saying that sadly, even some of the more aggressive proposals might do very little. That doesn't mean they're a bad idea, but they might do surprisingly little to reduce gun violence. I agree that a ban on military-style assault weapons, which I totally support and think should be part of any package that is passed, may not lead in the short term to as many lives being saved as a change on background checks. I think background checks and gun restraining orders, there's little doubt that they would be would, would result in more lives being saved. Th- but, those are but, good ideas. But just because... A ban on semi-automatic assault weapons would not save as many lives necessarily as a major reform on background checks. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be considered and shouldn't be part of the law. I'm not saying. I'm saying I think these things should be considered. I'm and I'm all for. Okay. um, I'm all for a discussion on this. What I'm saying is. The problem is harder than people who people who just think let's march on Washington and we're going to get weapons banned because it's so obvious this is going to work. It's actually not so obvious. You know, most of the of the the gun control advocates on the left had an awful lot of sway for eight years. Well, there is there is one. There is there is why didn't it happen? There is one truth and 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 about the NRA, the National Rifle Association, is that for their supporters, gun rights are absolutely one of the two or three top reasons why people vote for one member of Congress versus another. Right. Whereas until now, and hopefully this is changing, until now on the Democratic side, gun control has not been as big a hot-button issue as gun rights. And right. that is a big reason why conservatives and why the the. the the gun lobby has had such a big sway in Washington. It's yeah. not merely money. It's, it's, it's that I, I'm issue. glad you're making that point. I, I strongly agree. Um, you know, I'm not a gun owner. I, I, this isn't really my issue. I, I'm, I'm not uh, a, um, um, a partisan on this. But I do think that it's important to note, you talk about the rights that are important to Americans that are enumerated in the Constitution. Second Amendment is the second Amendment, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously it was important to the founders. We can argue yeah. over the exact um, parameters of that relatively vaguely worded statement, but um, but the people who see gun rights as part of their fundamental American rights, they're not just deluded. I mean, they you know they, they have they, an they argument. May, they may not make. be, but but the the support for, for instance, banning bump stocks, the support for doing something about criminal background checks, the support for banning military-style assault weapons is very widespread, at least according to opinion polls, and Congress has done virtually nothing. But they also, they shouldn't feed, um, I'll say ammunition, 
to the to the people who worry about the slippery slope argument. The bill to ban bump stocks quickly got loaded up with a lot of other things that Republicans weren't as open to, but that Democrats liked. Maybe they should have just gotten bump stocks done. Check that off the list. They could have gotten unanimity on that, but the bill got loaded up with other things. So I think the gun control advocates need to be careful not to essentially concede that they do want it to be a slippery slope. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I do, and I don't think they uh, – I, I need they, they, they need to be careful, but I also think that uh, the time has come for action to be taken, and that includes some form of gun control. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. <laughs> and our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Our music is by Lou Stravinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check out our website at daviescontent.com. That was a good one. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.